Blessed is the man who walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is on the law of the Lord, and on his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Welcome to the Bread of the Word podcast, a podcast striving to feast on God's Word and let the Bible speak to us all. Let us, as a former generation said, go ad fontes to the fountain and be nourished and sustained by all that God is. Let's dig in together. Hello and welcome back to yet another episode of the Bread of the Word podcast where we go ad fontes to the fountain, to the Word of God, to be nourished and sustained by all that God is as he has revealed himself to us. Going verse by verse, book through book, chapter by chapter. We are coming to the tail end of the Song of Solomon. We'll be doing all of chapter 7 today. Um, Lord willing, chapter 8 next week. And then our next series, which I'm very excited for, is we're going to be going verse by verse to the book of Job, which is a much longer commitment than the Song of Solomon. It's been um, maybe four months, I think. Um, we haven't done a book this long yet on the Bread of the Word podcast, so I'm excited for what that's going to be and to dive verse by verse into not just a bigger book, but a, a hard book. This is a book that challenges us. It's a, it's a book that oftentimes makes us uncomfortable. We're intimidated by the book of Job. But the reality of what's in there is for us. Because the secret things belong to the Lord, but the things that have been revealed belong to us. And Job has been given to us that we may know God. And because we can know God in the book of Job, we will gladly go verse by verse through the book of Job, searching for Christ in the scriptures with scripture. And on that note, let us read Song of Solomon, chapter 7. How beautiful are your sandaled feet, princess! The curves of your thighs are like, a jewel- are like jewelry, the handiwork of a master. Your navel is a rounded bull. It never lacks mixed wine. Your belly is a mound of wheat surrounded by lilies. Your breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle. Your neck is like a tower of ivory. Your eyes like pools in Heshbon by Bath Rabim's gate. Your nose is like the tower of Lebanon looking toward Damascus. Your head crowns you like Mount Carmel, the hair of your head like purple cloth. A king could be held captive in your tresses. How beautiful you are and how pleasant, my love, with such delights. Your stature is like a palm tree. Your breasts are clusters of fruit. I said, I will climb the palm tree and take hold of its fruit. May your breasts be like clusters of grapes and the fragrance of your breath like apricots. Your mouth is like fine wine. The words of the woman 
flowing smoothly for my love, gliding past my my lips and teeth. I am my love's, and his desire is for me. Come, my love, let's go to the field. Let's spend the night among the henna blossoms. Let's go early to the vineyards. Let's see if the vine has budded, if the blossom has opened, if the pomegranates are in bloom. There I will give you my caresses. The mandrakes give off a fragrance, and at our doors is every delicacy, both old and new. I have treasured them up for you, my love. Again, we have some some odd imagery that, um, as modern Americans, we struggle with. And as I've said time and time again, where it says breast, I will say breast. And let us consider how this text points us to Christ. It's interesting, and must be noted, that this, in the overall um, picture of Song of Solomon, this is the last long expression of the man. It is the, the last long piece of poetry from the man to the woman. From here on out, we have small, broken bits of poetry. This is the last long piece. Everything from here on out is a series of smaller stanzas. And so this is, essentially this is the last chance for the man to express his love for his bride. And we take the man to be Christ, that this is an expression of all that Christ sees in his bride, the church, of the beauty that he sees. Starting off with verse 1, How beautiful are your sandaled feet, princess. The curves of your thighs are like jewelry, the handiwork of a master. How beautiful are your feet. There's that, that, that line of Paul. Beautiful are the feet that bring the good news. I, that's where my mind goes. How beautiful are your feet. What's interesting about feet from a from a physiological standpoint is all the nerve endings in the human body end in the feet. That the feet and the hands, interesting enough, are some of the most sensitive parts of the human body in terms of nerves and feelings like that. So when we talk about being the hands and feet of Jesus, that's that's what we mean. We're talking about being two points of the human body that are incredibly sensitive. They're, these are the touchy-feely points of the human body. It's the feet. Furthermore, the, the curves of your thighs are like jewelry, the handiwork of a master. Isaiah 64, 8 says, Yet, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay, and you are our potter. We are all the work of your hands. We are molded by God. We are shaped by God. That is the cry of the Psalms, is we are shaped by God. When things are going well, we are shaped by God. When things are going poorly, we are shaped by God. There is none that can deliver us out of his hand. There is none that can stay his hand. But what God sets out to do, he does. In reference to the church, he is building his church. He is actively working to present to himself 
a bride without blemish or spot or wrinkle because his bride is the handiwork of a master Ephesians 2 says we are Christ's workmanship other translations say masterpiece we are his workmanship created for good works in Christ that he prepared ahead of time for us to do so the handiwork of a master your navel is a rounded bowl it never lacks mixed wine your belly is a mound of wheat surrounded by lilies there's three things that I think are important here the wine the lilies and the wheat see wheat is sustenance wheat is general nutrition um, a cup a cup of wheat will produce enough food to feed a family very well in that that ancient Near Eastern context a cup of wheat is you can make a lot out of food a lot of sustenance out of a cup of wheat if you have a small family and then your and then your navel is a rounded bowl it never lacks mixed wine it says in Psalms that young lions go hungry but those who trust in the Lord shall never lack any good thing the imagery there is that a young lion with all of his prowess with all of his teeth with all of his means by which he should be able to provide for himself a young lion can still go hungry because it is God who provides <clears throat> but those who trust in the Lord shall not lack a good thing so to be filled with wine to be filled with wheat to be filled with sustenance comes from God and then it says surrounded by lilies and we understand in the Song of Solomon lilies to be symbolic of the natural environment of Christ that this phrase we keep seeing he feedeth among the lilies but now she is surrounded by lilies she is among the lilies it's not talking about Christ it's talking about the church the church is among the lilies the church is in the natural environment of her husband <clears throat> we are surrounded by the things that surround Christ verse 3 your breasts are like two fawns twins of a gazelle and again we see that some of this is imagery we've seen applied throughout the song that's now being stuck together all staccato but we've seen talk about fawns and Christ was likened to a delicate animal a pure animal because gazelles deer are ceremonially clean they are kosher these are these are clean animals according to the Levitical law but here the woman is compared to a clean animal because God has made his church clean not not in terms of diet not in terms of sanitation but in terms of 
Our righteous deeds are but a polluted garment, are but filthy rags before God. But God has clothed us in his goodness, in his righteousness, that we may stand in his presence as his blood-bought people. And so we are like fawns. We are like gazelles, a delicate animal, a pure animal. Number four, your, your neck is like a tower of ivory. And that is a picture both of value, but also of structure. That we have, that we are valuable to God. We matter to God because he left the 99 to find us. But there is structure because God has brought us rest. He has brought us security. That I am at rest in God alone, says Psalm 62. <clears throat> in you my soul finds rest. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Why should I be afraid? The Lord is my fortress. Why should I tremble? So there is beauty in his church that he sees in his church. There is no spot in thee. But he has also brought us to a place of structure, of security. Psalm 40. He took me from a fearful pit and out of the miry clay. And on the rock he set my feet establishing my way. Your eyes like pools in Heshbon and Beth Rabim's gates. Your nose is like the tower of Lebanon. Again, structure and beauty together. Looking toward Damascus. Looking toward the great city. Verse 5. Your head crowns you like Mount Carmel, the hair of your head like purple cloth. A king could be held captive in your tresses. We talked about this a couple weeks ago, that you have captivated me. The King James said, you ravish me. That our God is not stoic. Our God is not a God who is divorced from feeling but that he feels very deeply for his people in such a way that he is comfortable communicating himself to us as a king that is in love. Because our God is not stoic. He's not... He doesn't act off emotion. It's not emotionalism is not the alternative here. But God has feelings or at, at the very least, is comfortable showing himself in a way that looks like it. But God has portrayed himself for our benefit in a love song. A king could be held captive in your tresses. How beautiful you are and how present my love with such delights. <clears throat> How beautiful and how pleasant you are. 
This is not language that should be here. This should not be what he sees when he looks at me. When he looks upon who I am, what I am, the response should not be how beautiful. But nonetheless, that is what he sees. Because Christ has looked upon us as his own. That while we were sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. And we have been counted as righteous on the merits of Christ who died for us. So that he looks upon us and he sees beauty. He sees pleasantry. He sees purity. Because he's counted us that way. And through the sanctification of the Spirit, he is making us so. Your stature is like a palm tree, and your breasts are clusters of fruit. I said, I will climb the palm tree and take hold of its fruit. Turn with me over to Proverbs 3 for a moment here. Is again, we have garden language. One of the beautiful things about the books of Solomon is the amount of garden language here. But Proverbs 3, just for context, going back to verse 5, beginning of the stanza. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not rely on your own understanding. In all your ways know him, and he will make your path straight. Don't be wise in your, your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. This will be healing for your body and strengthening for your bones. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first produce of your entire harvest. Then your, ba your barns will be completely filled and your vats will overflow with new wine. Do not despise the Lord's instruction, my son, and do not loathe his discipline. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves, just as a father disciplines the son in whom he delights. So we've got a list of principles of how to put the Lord before us in every facet of our life. It, when our barns are full, when we are chastened, when we think, think ourselves wise in our own eyes, set the Lord before us in everything. Verse 13, Happy is a man who finds wisdom and who acquires understanding, for she, because Solomon likens wisdom to a woman, for she is more profitable than silver, and her revenue is better than gold. She is more precious than jewels. Nothing you desire can equal her. Long life is in her right hand, in her left riches and honor. Her ways are pleasant, and all her paths peaceful. She is a tree of life to those who embrace her, and to those who hold on to her are happy. The Lord founded the earth by wisdom and established the heavens by understanding. By his knowledge, the watery depths broke open and the clouds dripped with dew. Maintain sound wisdom and discretion. My son, don't lose sight of them, for they will be life for you and adornment for your neck. Then you will go safely on your way and your foot will not stumble. When you lie down, you will not be afraid. You will lie down and your sleep will be pleasant. Don't fear sudden danger or the ruin of the wicked when it comes. For the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from a snare. So to take hold of its fruit 
as we see in Sol Solomon 7, I believe makes the most sense in light of taking hold of the tree of life through wisdom, through finding wisdom. And that is imagery that goes even further back to Eden, when they took hold of the wrong tree, of the wrong fruit. Why? That they could be wise in their own eyes. And that did not go well, did it? So, to the union that we have with Christ, the communion that we share with the triune God, is like taking hold of the tree of life in Proverbs 3. That we are taking hold, as Adam and Eve should have, of God's wisdom, of God's nature, of God's character rather than being wise in their own eyes and rejecting his goodness, rejecting his wisdom, rejecting the fact that he is God. Because, verse 9, your mouth is like fine wine. And what... What flows from the mouth of God? The truth. Wisdom. Man does not live by bread alone, but on every word which comes from the mouth of God. We saw this all the way back in chapter 1 with may he kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. To enjoy the communion that comes from the mouth of God. To talk about the word of God. Now to the words of the woman flowing smoothly from my love, gliding past my lips and teeth. Again, that, that communion with the Word of God. That acquaintance with the Word of God. In verse 10, I am my loves. And we have seen variations of that phrase throughout the book. My beloved is mine and I am his which scholars believe to be in chiastic balance. That is, that it is a parallel with a statement in the book of Jeremiah, I will be their God, and they will be my people. So I am my loves, and his desire is for me. Let us look at the fall. Genesis 3 for again for chiastic balance because this is a phrase desire is for you that word desire that specific Hebrew word appears three times in the Old Testament and only one time outside the book of Genesis so Genesis 3.16 he meaning God said to the woman I will intensify your labor pains. You will bear children with painful effort. Your desire will be for your husband. Yet, he will rule over you. This has been interpreted a number of ways as to what is meant by desire. And the CSB, I think, gets it right that there is no... that they just leave it at your desire will be for your husband. The ESV inserts the word contrary. Your desire will be contrary to your husband. 
And the problem with that is it's not in the text. It's not in the Hebrew. And the Hebrew word simply means desire. It could be a, any kind of desire. It could be a man for a woman. It could be a animal for food. It, it could be anything. It's very generic. But where, we, where the word contrary fits into their thought process is the second clause. Yet he will rule over you. And then that phrase there implies that the desire she has for her husband is not necessarily right. Not a good desire. It's not a pure desire. That there is a desire to to control, to exploit, maybe. But your desire will be for your husband, yet he will rule over you. That's the problem. We go to Genesis 4 with the with Cain and Abel. Cain kills Abel. And he is dialoguing with God after he kills Abel. In verse 7, If you do what is right, won't you be accepted, says God. But if you do not, if you do, not do what is right... Sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you. So now we're talking about sin's desire for Cain. Again, something like, like an animal for food, possibly. There's also a clause after, but you must rule over it. So again, the context is that this, is, this desire is not necessarily good. That this is a Desire that brings problems, that brings strife. Now back to Song of Solomon. I am my loves, and his desire is for me. Period. <clears throat> There's no but in that statement. There's no clause that follows after it that shows it's not a good desire. It just says his desire's for me. And it just is. It just is. We're the butt. God's desire is for us. And we make that a problem. We buck that. We are... We are the problem in that. But what is painted here in Song with Solomon is God's desire is for me. And it's okay. It's beautiful. And it's good. Psalm 139 says, Thou hast searched me, O Lord, and known me. Thou knowest my down, my, mine uprisings and my downsittings. Thou understandest my ways afar off. Thou compassest my paths and art acquainted with all my ways. That can be a very scary thought sometimes, to be known by God in such a perfect way, in such a complete way. That can be a terrifying thought, whether you are in Christ or not. Because you, God knows you perfectly. God knows you completely. There's nothing hidden from his sight. 
But it also tells us that God describes himself in mystery. In other places in the Psalms, that there are parts of God we can't understand. We cannot know God as he knows us. And because we can't understand it, oftentimes our gut reaction is to fight, to flee, to cling to some deluded sense of control and autonomy and self-sufficiency. The kings of the earth set themselves against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break our bands asunder and cast away our cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord shall hold them in derision. Then shall he speak to them in his wrath and, f and vex them in his sore displeasure. I shall declare the, or the decree the Lord hath said unto me. Thou art my son, and this day have I begotten thee. Ask of me, and I will give the nations for your inheritance, and the, and the kingdoms of the earth for thine possession. Thou shalt break them with a rod, or, with a rod of iron, Thou shalt dash them as a potter's vessel. God is God. God is supreme. God is in control. God is sovereign. God reigns. That's one of the most fundamental truths of the Bible, is that God is, and God reigns. So regardless of whether or not I can study my way away study my life away trying to figure out this God who is God will still be able to break me for all of my learning all of my time invested in this thing called theology God will still break me because God is God and he's not just in the books but God is a person God is a being that can be known. And God knows us perfectly, completely, and fully. And yet, he's glorified to make himself known to us, to enter into communion with us. Verse 11, Come, my love, let's go to the field. Let's spend the night among the henna blossoms. Let's go early in the vineyards. Let's see if the vine has budded, if spring has come. Because this, the stages of communion with the two that we see throughout the song is associated with spring. Spring brings new life. Spring brings blooming and flowers. The, ma the mandrakes give off a fragrance, and at our doors is every delicacy, both old and new. I have treasured them up for you, my love. The communion we have with Christ in the proverbial garden, nothing is hidden from us. 
every delicacy is there to enjoy with Christ. And that is, I'm not talking about food. I'm not talking about all the different kinds of food in the garden. I'm talking about all of the things that come from Christ. I'm talking about goodness, love, joy, peace, faithfulness, kindness. All of these things flow from Christ. And so when when we go to be with Christ, whether I die today or I live to see him bring heaven down to earth, and God makes his dwelling place with man. We will fully enjoy communion with God. And everything that is in Christ is, will be ours to enjoy. Not for the enjoyment of the things themselves. But in the person from which they come. I have treasured them up for you, my love. Let us treasure these things that the love we experience with God the love of God that we can know now is a sliver of what shall be ours in Christ in eternity and let us remind ourselves that it says in Romans 2.5 that we were once storing up wrath for the day of judgment but here we are storing up the delicacies of Christ. We are storing up good things to enjoy in Christ, with Christ, forever. Let us ponder what it would mean to go to the garden, to have union and communion with Christ in the garden when we went astray. That Christ has reconciled with the ones to whom he, we are estranged. We went astray. We rejected him. And yet Christ died for the ones to whom he was estranged. That we may be brought into the garden, brought into this fellowship, into this communion, that God has brought us in and with him we will stay thank you for listening this has been the bread of the word podcast bread of the word is a podcast ministry striving to feed people the wonderful words of God book by book chapter by chapter and verse by verse striving to let the word speak for itself this ministry is also a member of the Truth and Love Network, a diverse fellowship of fellow podcasts of different theological backgrounds united in the gospel of God. For more from the Bread of the Word podcast or the Truth and Love Network, check out the links below and follow us on social media. Until next time, God bless. Matthew 4.4. 4.